Amen. I am very happy to be bringing the word to you today. I'm going to be speaking out of the book of Jonah. Uh, and I'm not starting or speaking from the uh, story that a lot of us have heard where Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I'm going after that part because I found some parts of the story that resonate with the world today, especially Christians today. Um, and I wanted to, to speak on those. Uh, and I also wanted to preface my message with a brief synopsis of what had happened up until this point. So Jonah was called by God to go to a place called Nineveh and provide a ministering to those people. But Jonah didn't want to do it because he hated them. That's what it boils down to. So he got on a ship, the waters were crazy, the storms were crazy, and they finally were like, okay, who is responsible for this? And Jonah said, my God is probably angry with me. I'm on this ship to run away from what he called me to do. So they said, we're going to throw you overboard, all right? The logical thing to do, right? In their situation, that's the logical thing to do. So they threw him overboard. He was swallowed by a whale. He prayed. The whale spit him out on dry land. And here we are at this moment. I'm beginning in Jonah 3, 6. And I'm just going to read all of this for you guys just one time, and we'll, preface the, or we'll reference the story throughout my sermon. When Jonah's warning to the king of Nineveh reached him, he rose from his throne, and the king took off his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. This is the proclamation I decree in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, that this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. You were slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who resents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself shelter, and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. There he is arguing with God. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it, nor did you make it grow. It sprang up and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, for which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals. There is so much to learn from Jonah's anger in these scriptures. The first thing that uh, when I read part of my sermon to my wife that she learned is that, uh, in her own words, Jonah is a troublemaker and a bit of a crybaby. So <laughs> he became more than just the guy who got swallowed by a fish. He became the I want to die guy. And um, 
I want to talk to you about two things we can learn from Jonah's anger today. And the first, I want to talk about his anger at the plant situation. It is so common for us as Christians to forget that God is our provider. And I'm not talking about not having faith. What I'm talking about is how often we get into a deficit and we start arguing with God and forgetting that he's the one who's the provider. We wouldn't do that in any other walk of life. You don't go to the CEO of your company and tell him it's being ran wrong because you know your place. You know you shouldn't do it. You don't go to the banker who runs the bank and tell him how the money should be spent. And yet we find ourselves so often times arguing with God, the provider, and we are the ones in need of being provided to. We can't get angry like Jonah did. He got angry with the plant. He also got angry when God decided to let go of the plant. I want you to know as a Christian, we cannot get angry with how God uses the things that he provided us with. The plant was given to Jonah by God, and God decided that he should have it, and God decided he shouldn't have it. And Jonah's place was not to have anger with it, because again, Jonah did not tend to it, nor did he make it appear. And so often we pray to God, and we ask him for miracles, and we, we tell him we're in need, and God, I need you, I need a miracle. And then along the way, as the, the miracle is on its way down, we say, but God, I need you to do the miracle this way. Um, I really don't want to like have to work too hard to get the miracle. Um, I don't really think the miracle should come from a family member or a friend. I don't like borrowing money. You know, we start dictating to God how he should be able to use our miracles. And we get the miracle and we finally get our physical health from God or we finally get our final financial health from God. And then we pretend that it's ours. And we go around and we're telling God, I'm going to do this with the healing you gave me. I'm going to do this with the blessings you gave me. And you start to dictate to God what you should do with the miracle that you needed from him, not realizing he is the provider of the plant that is giving you comfort. Amen. Look at your life up until now. Look at where you are and look at the needs that you have. Look at the deficits that you have. And then look at God, the provider, and ask yourself, what right do I have to argue with God? I have often been in the position where I have been confused, frustrated, and I can't understand the logic of the miracles that are coming my way. But I've grown mature enough to know that if I understood them, they wouldn't be very big. And if I was able to, to understand the logic behind God's plan, it wouldn't work out too well because my logic has gotten me about this far in life. And I know that. So I know my place in knowing that when I go to somebody like God, he's got so much more divinity and understanding and power than me that I should just submit to it and say, look, I've messed up my life and I need you to fix it. Well, if I'm the one who's messed the life up, and I go to the one who needs to fix it, I should just let him do his work because I've already failed. Get out of the way of the one who can do the work. It's a simple concept, and I'm just going to keep on throwing the papers around. I like it for fun. Um, Jonah being angry at the plant was such a powerful ideology of what we are like in the world today. It happens all the time. We get into a miracle, se uh, a miracle session for God. We start praying for miracles, and we pray for that miracle out of a complete and utter lack. And then God provides it to us, and we either A, don't accept it fully, or B, we accept it and run away with it. Thank you for the miracle, God. I'll see you next time I have a problem. Happens all the time. There are people all over the world who come to God 
only when they need something, only when something is going wrong in their life. And those people often ask me, man, why is something always happening to me? And I tell them every time, because you come to God when you're in need and he's trying to get you to stay with him so he can provide for you. But you keep running away so he keeps bringing you back. Trust in God. You need him for a reason. And that reason is that you are not enough. And that's okay. The world preaches confidence all the time. I preach confidence all the time. But here is a true confidence. I will say it as a declaration in my life. I have needs that I will not share with you today, but I will share with you this. I am not big enough, smart enough, wealthy enough, nor do I come from the background enough to get out of the pit that I am in. However, I am extremely confident that the friends and family that are around me will see me succeed because God is providing the leaf that is providing me comfort. And I don't need to have the ego to say, I solved it. I did it. I actually like knowing that these answers are coming from a place I don't understand because I want someone bigger, smarter, and better than me to make my life bigger, smarter, and better. So I submit to God. Blessings are given to you by God. Rejoice in compassion when you receive them. Be so happy at the mercy of God when you receive a miracle that you're willing to let it go and understand that another one will come, another one will be here. True, utter faith in God's miraculous healing is knowing this. What God provides me today may be used for something tomorrow. I may not hold on to this miracle for very long. There may be another rediagnosis. There, mother, there, may, there may be another financial issue, but also know this, there will also be another answer. If Jonah had true faith and he laid out on that ground again the next day, there would have been another leafy plant holding his head in comfort because God will continue to be your provider. Let go of the anger at how God uses what he's given you. Just accept that you get the benefits from God and let him use them. And the one today that I want to talk about that I feel is the most relevant to today's Christian society and church it's Jonah's anger at God's mercy. I'm going to have a lot of uh, church folk angry at these next few points I'm going to make. But to be honest with you, Jonah sounds a lot like a lot of Christians. God, I don't like them. Why are you providing for them? My brother is an idiot. My sister is a, a, a reckless woman. She's always getting herself into trouble. My coworkers aren't as good as me. My mother and father let me down. Why are people getting things, God? I don't like them. You shouldn't like them. That's what we sound like. And I want to start this point off the way I'm going to end this point and my entire sermon. God doesn't care how you feel about other people. He wants them saved. He wants them to hear about his word. He wants them to receive his love. He doesn't care whether you think they're right or wrong. He doesn't care whether or not you like the Facebook post they made that talked about black lives matter, all lives matter, police lives matter. He doesn't care about your opinions of Joe Biden and Donald Trump. He doesn't care what you identify as or what your opinions of people who identify as other things are. He does not care about any of that. He cares about one thing in each and every one of us. 
The soul that resides in our heart and in our body, in our mind, gets to reside with him in heaven for eternity. That is what he cares about. The outside things that we created, the other troubles that they've gotten themselves into, the things that you think they're wrong about, God could care less about those he wants them saved. There is a Nineveh out there, and God is calling Christians to minister to Nineveh. Do not be a Jonah. Don't run away from it. Don't be angry when God provides for people you disagree with. I don't get on the pulpit and talk about politics because I don't think it has a place in church. But what I do talk about with politics is this. It don't matter. Those people need God. And you could possibly be wrong about your politics. You could be wrong about your ideologies. You could even be wrong about the morality that you created for yourself. Because God is the dictator and provider of who receives eternity. And he wants everyone to hear about it. God wants people saved. And guess who he sent to do it? He sent you. He sent you. So those people on the side of the road that you think need to just get up and get a job, they have a story that you haven't heard, and you need to hear it. Those people who have an identity you don't agree with, they have a story you haven't heard, and you need to hear it. That brother or sister or cousin who's in addiction counseling, they need your support. They have a story you need to hear it. And most importantly, they all have a story that you need to tell them. They need to hear this. God loves you endlessly. The mistakes that you have made are not the defining factor in your life. The power that resides in in you from God is the defining factor of your life. How dare we as Christians, how dare we accept God's compassionate love and mercy and then go into the world bitter and resentful? How dare we? If you have found yourself bitter and resentful watching a certain group of people, how dare you receive the love and mercy of God and not share that with the world? How dare you receive the mercy that God provided when he sent his son to die on the cross and bought your eternity and then turn around and pretend that other people got to earn it? You didn't earn it. God earned it for you. When it came time to save your soul, God didn't throw away your bad choices in your face. God didn't talk about your sin and bring it up to you. What he did is he wiped the slate clear and said, thank you, my good and faithful servant. Come and receive the miracles that belong to you. Come and receive the power of God that should be residing within you. I wake up the spirit in you and that spirit will guide you. We should be sharing that with the world. God sent his son to die for you. God sent his son to make an eternity happen for you. And now it is your job to return the favor to the world and say, God, God sent his son to die for you, and I was you once. And the only difference between you and I right now is I've accepted God. It's not what you've done with your life. It's not the finances you have. It's not who you married, what you've married, and what you've done in your life. It's not how you run your relationship. There is one dividing factor between you and the world. They accept God, and they don't. There are two groups of people. It does not come down to identity politics. It does not come down to liberal or Democrat and Republican and right wing. It does not come down down to any of that it comes down to this those who have accepted God and those who have it and it is your job to pull more people to this side it was Jonah's job to go to Nineveh and minister to those people and God called him knowing he hated those people but you know why he did it because Jonah needed to hear this I don't care that you hate them I love them and I think there are some people out in the world who need to hear this God doesn't care that you hate them he loves them 
He wants them to be saved. So the alcoholic on the road who's recovering, coming from a life where they've gone to prison, they're covered in tattoos, they drop their wine bottles on the street before they come to church, all the things that you might think turn God away from them. When they walk in the door, God is rejoicing that they have a chance to hear he loves them. And we cannot let them down because we are who is supposed to love them now. God loves them, and he sent his spirit to reside in us. What that means to you is you have to act like God sometimes. And what God says is this, Beth, Mylon, Pastor Cain, Allison, he doesn't care. He knew every single bad thing you've ever done, every single bad thought you've ever thought, every bad thing no one knew you did, the deepest, darkest secrets, the pits of your life, he knew about them. And he even knew your potential to do more. But what he also saw is your potential to do better. And he woke up that potential in you. There is a Nineveh out there. There is a Nineveh out there. Be a God, not a Jonah. Be a God, not a Jonah. Don't get angry when God has compassion on the weak and on the people who are in fights right now. Don't be mad when God provides for somebody else because God is a provider. And if he can't be someone else's provider, he can't be yours. Oh. Look around the world. Every corner you've driven by, every TikTok post you've scrolled by, every channel you've turned, every Facebook post you've liked, or deleted off your page. Every politician who spoke and said something you loved or hated. Every coworker who's gotten on your nerves and became a buddy. Every single one of those people that you have come across deserve to hear about God. And you are called to do it. If people are coming into your life and are put in your walk, I will tell you this, they are put there because God wants you to minister to them. It is not a mistake that you have put, been put on a job with an atheist. It is not a mistake that you have been put on a job with somebody who's recovering from addiction. It is not a mistake that you have been put around a bunch of quote-unquote sinners. God wants you to love them, and he put them in your path for a reason. And maybe you are being caught up in a storm. And I'm going to sidebar this. This isn't in my notes. God is just speaking to me right now. There are some Christians who are wondering. They are wondering why the storms of life are hitting them. They are wondering why their boat is shaking, why their life is rocky, why there's a big fish in the ocean waiting to swallow them. And God is telling me to tell you today, stop running from the people that I've called you from. That's why I'm sending storms to get you back where you belong, ministering to people that you don't like. Because guess what? I love them. And at some point in time, somebody ministered to you, and they didn't like things about your life. Pastor Kane, you're a New Orleans Saints fan, aren't you? There's a lot of Cowboys fans in this house. Now, I'm not a big NFL guy, but I already know that, that Pastor Kane has ministered to other Cowboys fans. (laughs) I know that Pastor Kane has come to church and preached sermons to people who represent a football team that just beat his saints. It doesn't matter. I'll go deeper than that. I have had people in my life that have gotten on my nerves at my job and are the type of people I don't want to be around. I'll confide that into you right now. But every time I've felt that way about a coworker, God has grabbed my heart and he's grabbed my spirit and he said to me this, get out of the way, Joe. I'm trying to love them. 
I'm trying to love them. You're right here right now so they can see my love and you're doing a bad job at it. So can you fix it? Can you show them that God is loving and compassionate? Can you stop showing them that God is resentful and bitter? Can you show them my mercy and my compassion? God wants the people of this world saved. You know who we sent to do it? I'm going to say it again. He sent you. He sent you. It is not just Pastor Avery, Pastor Kane, or my job to minister to people. Your life is a ministry. You have a calling. And some people have a calling to be on stage, and we will reach people. But other people have a calling to suffer through a circumstance that doesn't make sense, remain powered in faith, and walk to a job and show people that you can still believe in God when it's hard. And that will be the turn that somebody needs. That will be the friendship example that someone needs to go, wow, I could do this God thing. Your quarrels with other people do not affect God's love. Your judgment doesn't disqualify others from grace. Put the gavel of religious judgment down. It's too big for you. And guess what? You look silly sitting in God's chair. It's too big for you. It is not your job to decide who gets heaven and hell. That is God's job. Your job is just to make sure they hear about as much of heaven as they can. And let's stop looking at the world and telling them they're going to hell. And instead, look at the world and tell them about how good heaven is instead. Let's stop condemning people and start ministering to them. Let's stop running away from people who need us just because we disagree with their lifestyle. Guess what? One sin has done them all. One who has sinned has done all sins. You are just like them, except that one dividing factor that I talked about earlier. You accepted God's mercy and God's grace, and you believe that he is the provider. You believe that he is the father and that he sent Jesus to die for you. That is something you accepted, and every single human being on the planet can accept. So there is no dividing factor that makes you better than somebody else. That is an opportunity for you to look at them and say, you're on this side, and that side is telling you the law is how you live. And you get to earn heaven by the law. You're not ever going to do it, buddy. But I got you something. I got you an easy way. Over here is God's mercy and God's grace. And all you got to do is believe in it. And it doesn't matter what you've done with your life. What matters is that you accept that God's done something. Get that in your spirit when you're interacting with people. And it doesn't just have to be face-to-face. -face. Stop making Facebook posts that tell people they're going to hell. Stop making Facebook posts that tell people that they're not good enough. Stop arguing with people about their life and start ministering to them instead. And minister from a place of love. Let me tell you something, Christians. As another Christian, I want you to all hear this, and there will be some of you that are angry with this. If you cannot interact with people because you think their sin is too stinky, your sin is the smelliest. And I don't want you interacting with other people, giving them the idea that God's love is condemnation and hatred. I want you to interact with them in a way that says God's love is mercy and compassion. And it is powerful and it will change you. There are people who think that you can dictate people's lives and make them live a Christian life. That has never worked and never will work. But you know what changes people's lives? Getting them closer to the spirit and they start acting a little better. They start thinking a little more correctly. They start acting a little more Christ-like. You can't law people into financial, uh, financial experience. You can't law people into religious perfection. But what you can do is you can show them, I'm not perfect, he is. I don't want to have to tell you a bunch of things you've got to do with your life. I just want to tell you this, buddy. He died for you. All you got to do is accept it and trust it. I'm not doing anything bigger and better than you. 
I sat in a church, and if you come next Sunday, you can also sit in a church. And I sat in a church one day, and I heard God call to me, and I walked up, and the pastor said, do you believe in God? And I said, yes, I do now. And he said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And I said, yes, I do now. And the pastor said, do you receive it? And I said, yes, I do now. Can you say, yes, I do? Yes, you can. Then you can do exactly what I've done. You can get exactly what I've gotten, which is an eternity. And I didn't have to walk outside and clean myself up and be in the right clothes. I didn't have to get my sin in order before I got there. What happened is I walked into a world that I was filled with sin from, and I walked into a church, and God healed me and cleansed me and continues to do so because guess what? I continue to fail him. But that is not the point, my friend. That is not the point, brother at my job or cousin at the family reunion or boss who's telling me that I need to do something different with my my day-to-day task. That's not the point. The point is this. God loves me so much that my failure does not disqualify me from eternity because I believe that Jesus bought my eternity. Go out and show people God's unending love, his forgiveness, his compassion, his mercy. Give them what God gave to you first. You will be the first interaction, the definition of God to some people. And if you do so in hatred and in bitterness, and if you send them a message you don't want to tell them and you run for them like Jonah did, they will think God doesn't love them. They will think God doesn't want them. And I look at church, and I look at how a lot of Christians have acted, and then I look at atheists, and I look at people who don't believe in God, and I look at people who are on the other side of the fence, and I say, you know what? I can see how they think God doesn't doesn't love them. I can see how they think Christians are an angry people. I could see it. But it's not too late to change it. It's not too late to change it. Why don't we show them God's love instead? Show them mercy instead. When you walk to an atheist sometimes and you talk to them about God, they don't want to hear it. And a lot of them have a lot of mean things to say. They talk about you and they kind of make fun of your, your faith and your spiritual walk. Give them God's mercy. Don't be angry with them. Don't quarrel or quip with them. Just love them. There will be people that you minister to and they tell you to shut up. I don't want to hear about that. Give them compassion and pray for them anyways. There will be people who don't love you, who hate you. And on the other side, just like I talked about, there are Christians on one side telling other people they're going to hell. And there are also people on the other side telling Christians they're stupid. Hear from them that message that they hate you and they think church is the worst possible thing. Hear that from them. And instead of sending it back and trying to get one over on them, stop that fight right there and say, I love you. I love you. You may not agree with me, but I love you. You may not like what I've got to say, but I love you. God loves you. Go out and show people the unending love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion that God has. And do it well. Be a perfect representation of God in this way. Always choose love. Always choose love. Always choose love. I hear a lot of people say that love is not an emotion. That love is a choice. And it's oftentimes used to talk about marriage. Love as a choice applies to everyone you've ever met. You can choose to love them. So that person at your job who has an addiction, choose love. That person at your job who hates God, choose love. That person at your job who disagrees with you politically, choose love. That person in your life who you've walked by that has an idea of gender identity that you don't, choose love. That person who is in a relationship that you, find, or that you fundamentally dis- disagree with, choose love. Choose 
love. At the start of this sermon, and at the start of this point, I said this. I'm going to end it the way I began this point. And I hope this resonates in your spirit and changes the idea that we would no longer be Jonah's running away from ministering to people, but instead we would be fishers of men who when we heard the call, we dropped our jobs and went to go to God instead. I want to finish this sermon the way I started it. God doesn't care how you feel about people. He wants them saved, and he sent you to do it. Thank you.